Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. I'm Alison Humphreys and I'm joined today by Christian Hughes of My People. Welcome, Christian. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, well, it's my pleasure to have you. And um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have uh, previously uh, listened to either episodes of the podcast concerned with psychometric questionnaires or know something about them from their own experience. I think My People is of specific interest to lots of recruiters um, in the current market. And um, therefore, this is well worth turning your video on for this episode. There will be a short demonstration of the system and what it can give you um, at one stage of the podcast. And at the end, we'll be giving listeners a particular code that they can phone um, my people to discuss a special arrangement. So moving on. Um, Christian, I know that you have actually got first-hand experience of recruiting. Could you just briefly outline your story um, and your, your relevant experience to our audience here on Recruitment Leadership? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so my first job was in recruitment. Uh, I was very young uh, back in those days and I wasn't particularly good at recruitment, but my main interest uh, as I started out in recruitment was people. And I was fascinated by how people develop, how people grow. Um, and I was also fascinated by sport. So that became my sort of second job, if you like. And I got working with an, a range of uh, elite sporting teams from GB Cycling, England Rugby, Saracens, Crystal Palace, um, a range of Premier League football clubs. And in that world, my my role was around psychology and data. And how do you use, how do you generate information that helps you make better decisions when hiring? or selection, as it would be called in sport, and how do you use that information to develop people once they're in their teams? So that was my area of expertise, and then I sort of come full circle, really, and my people as a product used by recruiters and RPOs to help them with the selection of people into teams and to feel more confident that people will actually perform in the teams they're putting them into. Great. Okay. So you were looking for ways of predicting who would, be, who would become an elite athlete, um, initially, and uh, you know, just for anybody who's not well versed in this, it, it, at, at a certain level, um, physiology and training will take you, you know, to a, a very high level in sport. But I think we're uh, most of us understand now that actually it's mindset that will make the difference between a world champion and someone who's on a on a squad. Is that a fair summary? 
yeah yes exactly right and it's a whole discipline now within sport which begs the question of why it isn't in in business yet but it's a whole discipline around how will someone perform in our environment and why that's important when you think about it in recruitment terms we spend most of our focus of interviews and assessment on whether someone can do the job and that's right because if they can't do the job then it's going to be very difficult to offer them a job however the next question should be well how will they fit into our team um, we're not talking about that from a diversity lens uh, specifically at the moment. What we're talking about here is how likely are they to perform in our environment? And if we are not asking that question or thinking about that question, we're just leaving so much to chance. It's wild. Whereas in sport, you know, there's a whole team of people within, um, especially in Premier League football at the moment, where their whole focus is on what's the athlete's mentality like? What's their personality like? How will they fit into our project here? How are they going to contribute to other teammates? Will our teammates be able to support them based on the skills and experience we've got in our group at the moment? So that's a whole stream of analysis that's done in, in sport, not in business. Mm, yes. Now, um, regular listeners and readers of my blog will be well aware that I wrote a fairly controversial um, blog a couple of months ago called Business is Not Sport and Sport is Not Business. And I want to actually just Specify what I meant in that and why it doesn't apply to the product you're discussing now. So my point in, in that blog was that actually, if you are in sport, there's a whole team of people dedicated to you, the individual, being the best you can possibly be. If you're a leader of a recruitment business, let's say, it's the reverse. Your job is to make them the best they can possibly be. And it's quite exhausting. And that sort of single focus that, that many athletes have, it might be the Olympics or the World Championship, whatever, leads to a uh, you know, training preparation that in business, there isn't an equivalent sort of uh, you know, big bang day and leaders have to be on their game the whole time. Now, that said, I have always been a complete um, believer in the idea that culture matters. And that people, I think we've probably all seen people in the recruitment world who, uh, you know, who do poorly in one recruitment environment, move them to a different market or an, or a different culture of a, of a team, and they can do very well. So, um, psychometrics aren't new. Um, as I mentioned, we've had a few psychometric test providers on this podcast before. Why did you think that something new was needed, Christian? Yeah, great question. I mean, it was an accident more than anything. So when I came across or came back to business from sport, um, I was working with a range of private equity firms who bought some businesses and they were looking at how productive those businesses were. They were looking at whether they had the right people in those businesses and they were talking to recruitment companies about recruiting for those businesses. And so I, we, you know, my whole background was in data. So we went out and looked at what was happening in the assessment market. What were the psychometrics doing? And there were sort of three real problems that we had. Number one was they focused on the individual only. And everything I knew in sport was about how does that individual work in the team? That was the most um, impactful thing in, in them being able to perform or not. Uh, so the focus on an individual was problematic. The second thing was they were just too long. I mean, they were 45 minutes plus uh, per person. And when you're trying to do, you know, scale um, uh, or, or manage volume hiring, that's just impossible. Mm. The third bit there was they were too expensive. It was very consultative led in terms of um, if there was an assessment of an individual, you needed a psychologist to tell you uh, and provide report to you as to whether that individual was going to fit. 
And the problem typically happened then that you'd use the psychometric at the end of the process. So sort of four or five interviews in because it's too long. So the candidate won't engage with it unless they're engaged with the process. So they need to be further along in the recruitment process. Mm. Two, because it's a psychologist that has to give you the results. You don't really want to go through that process until the end because it's expensive. You want to make sure you've got a candidate that you're really keen on. And the problem of all of that is you then have this sort of retrospective position where really you're post-rationalizing the psychologist's report back to you by saying, well, we really like this candidate and we really want an offer of them a job. So tell me why we shouldn't, mm. which is in my mind, the wrong way around. So I felt there was a space for psychometrics within this organization that we were working with. They needed a better tool. So we created it, which was a tool that you could use on all candidates a tool that could be completed within under 10 minutes, and we, we got it down to about six minutes, and a tool that could predict whether they were going to fit into the team they were going into, because most of the time, most of the recruiters we work with were quite good at assessing the skills and experience of a specific vertical. Um, so you didn't need a lot of proof points. You needed proof on whether they were going to, the candidate was going to fit into the, the role in the team. Mm, okay, right. So um, that fitting into the team, just want to highlight, um, some people might interpret that as meaning, will they be the same as everybody I already have in my business? Um, and that might not actually be what you're aiming for. Can you just explain it in the context of my people? Yeah, so we use a connect and contribute framework. So um, this is a whole area at the moment that's very popular and it's a big social discussion around difference. How do we understand difference? And obviously it's a part of a discussion about diversity at the moment, but the, the sort of main conversation is how do we understand difference and how do we understand belonging? So we use a connect and contribute framework, which is the idea really, I think it's a more sophisticated idea of difference that we want to understand how someone's going to connect with our existing team because we know academically that if someone doesn't feel a sense of connection and belonging to their teammates, it's going to take them longer to build that and it's going to take them longer to get up to speed equally we don't want a team which is all exactly the same have all come from the same background and have the same experience and the same outlook because we know that we need a range of views to come to better decisions as a as a group if you don't think about the different options available to you if you're going to see one or two options because all your team think exactly the same way you're going to make worse decisions so our framework is a connect and contribute so it's the idea that we're looking at difference through the lens of how's this person going to connect with the existing teammates and how are they going to contribute what are they going to bring into this team that's going to add something so i guess uh, if you on linkedin a lot you're probably familiar with the phrase culture ad uh, the problem with that phrase is all, it's almost a pendulum swing from the everybody's the same idea. The culture fit seems to bring out this idea that everyone's going to be homogenous. And that's that's really not what we're trying to do. Culture mm. ad seems to give this idea that we're going to get people who are totally different to our existing team and they bring something without any real thought to whether they're going to connect with who's in our team already. What mm. you want is a combination of, of the two. So connect yes. and contribute. Do I you think know, um, a relatively recent example that springs to mind is, do you remember when Dominic Cummings was still a key player in uh, in Downing Street, anyway, if not in government, and he made an announcement that he wanted to hire weirdos as uh, special advisors. Do you remember? And they went out. They they certainly found some weirdos, but it didn't fit at all. It was like uh, two species unable to, to the existing and the new, unable to communicate with each other. Um, okay, so let's let's take a look now at the two sides of my people, the culture 
product side and the um, selection for recruitment side. Um, so if you could just share your screen now, Christian. Right, I'm gonna roll through a very quick demonstration, which should probably take about five minutes. Um, there's two sides to this. At first, I'm gonna show you the application within recruitment. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about a broader viewpoint, which is a sort of organizational viewpoint. So just to recap as to what we're doing with our product and why we exist, um, the product is designed to answer the question, how will a person perform in our environment? Why should we care about that? Well, how someone performs in our environment um, is one of the most impactful pieces of information we could have uh, in a recruitment journey. And the reason for that is we really want to look at whether someone can do a job and then how they're going to do the job in our environment, because how they do the job in our environment gets us thinking about how quickly we can get them up to speed with our existing team. It gets us thinking about the idea that this person is going to be contributing something to our business beyond just their skills and experience. And it gets us thinking about how we then roll this person into our organization and help them achieve. Now, all of that stuff is broadly left on the cutting room floor, I think, in a recruitment process. We keep thinking skills and experience. So this is a supplementary tool, really, for skills and experience analysis. You, we assume the recruiter is doing that themselves, and then we add this tool in to help them with how they're going to fit. Mm. In order to do that, we look at two things. One is job or role fit. So how will the candidate fit the role um, and what will they bring to that role? And then second, team fit, which is how they will fit the team. So I'm going to start with team fit. The first thing to say is, how do we measure this? So we have a 13-factor model of culture, which was developed both academically and in practice in sport. And this is the idea that culture is felt at a team level. So if you think about a team you've worked in before where it was easy, where you connected with the people around you, where you liked everybody broadly, mm -hmm. it makes it easier for you to deliver on your potential. Uh, equally, if you think about a team you've worked in before where you perhaps didn't get on with the manager so well, maybe there was a, a high degree of conflict, maybe you disagreed with a lot of the uh, outlooks of other people around you, it makes it harder for you to give your maximum. Um, so the idea here is these are the 13 factors that most influence um, someone's ability to connect with their teammates. So you can think of them as the shared values of a team. What we're going to do is just grab a candidate and I'll run through how we capture this. So we have a very unique approach at uh, My People in that we psych have a psychometric that's used by the candidate, which is a six minute psychometric they complete. You can't pass or fail it. Um, so it can be used at an early stage in a recruitment process. And it gives you information about their personality, their behaviors, what they like and dislike, and also what they like about working in a team. Uniquely, we also have a psychometric that's used by the hiring manager, which is again, a six minute psychometric, which once they've done once, they don't have to do again. And that gives you an output, which is these 13 factors. We can then, I'm going to skip to just the top five, we can then look at what the profile is like of that team. So the, there's a couple of ways we can capture this information. The hiring manager can complete the psychometry themselves. So we use their responses as the proxy for what it's like to work in their team. We can also capture the whole hiring team. So if we wanted to, we could analyze the whole team's responses. And then finally, we can capture the whole organization, which is the cultural product I'll show later. Um, and in that way, we can look at the differences between teams. Mm -hmm. But here we've got the hiring manager completing this. So the yellow is the manager and the blue is the candidate. And really what we're trying to do is understand how similar their outlooks are between the manager and the candidate. 
two ways of doing that. First, this ranking chart. So on the top, we have here one to 13 of the, the top factors from one being the most important to 13 being the late, least important for the yep. hiring manager and the same for the candidate. And I'm not going to sort of bore you with the chart explanation, but basically everything in this alignment zone here in purple, we can say the candidate sees sees things the same way as the environment. So we've got mm. someone here who's a, a great fit. Anything in blue, there's significant difference. So this is where we would focus our questioning at interview. And we yeah. click back to the summary and you can see down here, there's a suggested interview guide for the hiring manager, which can be exported and sent to them with suggested questions and suggested areas of focus. Right, okay. So I love the graphic display there. Um, it, some of our listeners will be thinking, um, how do how would we sell this to before just before you move on to the other tool how would you sell this to clients yeah what's the, what are the bullet points if you will that there's two major benefits for, for clients one is speed to productivity so what mm -hmm. i mean by that is if you think um and i'm sure anybody who's who's watching this who's, who's done some modeling of new hires and looked at how much it costs to hire them, the recruitment fee, and then how quickly you'd expect them to get up to speed, you're typically looking between eight and 12 months before a candidate joins a job and you get your return on investment. Mm. So what if you could speed that up? What if it was five months or four months? What does that mean? Well, in, in real terms, it's direct profitability. It's, it's a quicker return on investment for our hiring team. So that's attractive. And the second point is retention. Um, we often use the phrase that we're higher on skills, fire on behavior. What if you could measure behavior in advance and you could have some confidence that someone was going to fit into a, a team in advance? Then you wouldn't need to be worrying about firing on behavior downstream. So retention is, is much greater. For the recruiter, the conversion rates are, are greater. So we've got data now flowing through from our customer base that says if you put up a certain amount of candidates, you are more likely to get them on interview because mm -hmm. the hiring manager feels more confident from the information you're providing. And even better, you're more likely to get um, an offer for a candidate on, um, on an interview shortlist. Okay, so what we have to do is just explain value to a client here rather than necessarily functionality, isn't it? It's, um, I love the way you just put into very specific metrics on there, like time to productivity and retention, which everyone can translate to a, a cash value. Thanks. Please do carry on. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, I think, um, speed to productivity in sport is a, is a big one. If you, um, at the risk of talking about male football for one second, but if you if you can think about getting a footballer, for example, which is a big piece of work that we were involved in, and it takes them 12 months to settle into the team, their contribution is going to be lower than if they come in and they instantly, I hate this phrase, but hit the ground running. In business, we don't tend to think about this enough because actually if you get someone up to speed more quickly, it makes a difference to your team. It makes your life easier as a manager and ultimately it makes the, the performance of the business better. So that's team fit we've talked about. The second piece to talk about is job fit. So what we're doing here is answering the question, how will this person go about their role? And this has implication um, in the way we set our team up. So if you can imagine hiring a salesperson, and I'm going to use a really crude stereotype, but it hope, hopefully articulates the story. If you imagine hiring a salesperson in your team um, and you've got two candidates and one has very strong attention to detail uh, and the other is highly extrovert. So both different personality types and different behaviors that are associated with that. Mm the attention to detail individual is more likely to be completing the CRM, is more likely to document what they're doing. The 
high extrovert, low attention to detail individual is more likely to be out and socializing and get their kicks from interacting with people, but the CRM might not get updated. When you think about that in the context of your existing team, you can start to think about the fact that, well, we've got a really good admin department or we've got a really good support structure for this salesperson or the culture in our group is actually very strong on attention to detail. So we're likely to mold this person. We can understand whether that is a problem or not. It sort of surfaces whether those generic things that hiring managers sometimes say to us about, oh, I don't think they're going to fit here because of that. Well, we can actually surface it and say, yes, but your team is set up to deal with this already. So it shouldn't be a problem. Mm. So I won't go through all of this because it'll take a little while, but we can look at whether the candidate fits the role. We have an external profile that we take from the US and UK labor workforce database, which means that we've got objective data. Um, there's 47,000 roles in the system. And we can look at the fit of an individual against that optimum role profile. We can look at the weightings, which is this chart here. And I, I won't go through all of this, but I will just note that if you click on anything, because this is designed for non-psychologists, there's an explain this um, button and that explains what the chart is saying and what the questions are and how to interpret the chart so mm, lovely it's easy, design. Nice easy um we can then look at the individual traits we use the big five uh, personality model which is the most academically validated and then finally we can see how this person compares to the rest of the general population because you might have a scenario where your salesperson that i just highlighted has not enough attention to detail for the role in our view but actually they have very strong attention to detail versus the rest of the population so that just helps us think a little bit about our decision making and whether that's going to be right or wrong and then when i come to the summary again we've got the same principle here we're not trying to define um in binary terms whether someone should or shouldn't get the role what we're trying to do is focus in on where are the areas where it might be difficult for them have they thought about this? And we provide a set of questions for the, the hiring manager to then focus on the interview. So you get better quality interview discussion. Mm, yes, well, I'm sure, hallelujah, that's something we would all welcome. <laughs> um, so thank you. It looks like a very, very intuitive um, uh, format. And I can I love the way the reports are so clearly laid out. You mentioned earlier about one of the advantages of using the system is that you can actually use it earlier in a process than perhaps traditionally most people have thought of using psychometrics where it was only for c-suite jobs and only done at the, the very final stage um one of the issues that people have raised with me sometimes is that the, with the way the market particularly was last year they had challenges getting candidates to complete profile um, tools because they had so many other options that we're asking less of them. Um, looking at what you've got here, I can see that um, a candidate would have a lot more confidence themselves if their profile showed that they were a good fit. Is, is that proven to be the case? Yes, so there's there's a couple of pieces on this. One, it, it only takes six minutes and they only have to do it once yeah, so you can have them, uh, uh, the candidate can have uh, some confidence that their, their information then can be used for multiple jobs rather than having to go through a different assessment every time for every job. Mm. Uh, second thing is, um, depending on, on the setup of the system, there is an automated report that goes to the candidate the moment they complete this. So it's dynamic and they get some insight there because when you think about moving jobs, 
when you're asked, you know, what kind of team do you think you work best in? It's very difficult to articulate. And actually the system or our system can highlight for the candidate what are the things that are going to be important to them in a job? What are the things that they value uh, and help them decipher that? Uh, and then provide that information back to them, which they can utilize for their job search. Yes, yes, absolutely. So so rather than um, them just relying on self-reporting, and if their experience is limited, they don't know whether the team they've been working in is a particularly dysfunctional one or not, do they? So rather than just self-reporting, you're actually um, measuring them or rather assessing their their responses against a norm of the whole population. Is what you're saying. Exactly. Thank right. you. So I can also see there's a huge application here for recruiters' own internal hiring. And ironically, uh, of course, ours remains a, a very high turnover industry. Have you got any success stories using my people that you can point to for re where recruiters have used it? Yeah, so we have. Uh... I mean, I haven't got the exact numbers in front of me, something in the region of 70 odd um, companies using our platform, including some of the biggest RPO companies in the world. And they use the product in quite a unique way. And I've just pulled up a, um, a different part of the product here, the, the cultural organizational survey, because yeah. they use the product um, at the point of recruitment for recruiting recruiters, mm -hmm. but also where, where they're large enough to then direct recruiters to different teams so that they can fit into the, the optimum teams. Um, most of the, the feedback we're getting from, from customer, from recruiters who are using this at the point of recruitment is that they can see clearly their culture and the shared values across their different teams. So I can think of one uh, company recently we were, I was on a call with where they had six different hiring managers in their business complete the psychometric. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of minor differences between the outlook of each of the hiring managers teams but for the most part there were three sort of prerequisites that ran through everything they were doing and they were sort of results orientated so every recruiter coming in needed to be very clearly focused on results um, empowerment so they need to be very accountable and individually driven to, to make things happen because there, there wasn't a huge support structure in place uh, and three they need to be very customer focused and regardless of the differences in the teams, those three things became prerequisites. And we were able to work with them to develop a, a sort of pro forma interview guide for each of their managers ac across the whole business mm. so that they could identify those three traits in people when they were recruiting. And that's had a massive effect on their sort of retention and their performance. They've got more people performing better than they've ever had. Okay, thank you very much. So. Is there anything that my people doesn't do? <laughs> um, yeah, we don't measure skills and experience. So our starting point was that recruiters and talent acquisition teams are great at doing that already. They don't need um, our support from that. Where we do, where we uh, offer value is the supplement um, information of how will these people perform in the in the teams we're putting them into. Right. So just to be clear, then um, it's not measuring um say uh, numeracy or no. fluent intelli fluent intelligence okay no right. and i think just on that there's a real pushback on some of those things at the moment especially around neurodiversity and mm -hmm. a lot of these um approaches academically have sort of been geared to certain um groups over other groups and then i think practically speaking it's very very difficult to get lots large volumes of people going through this process and doing numerical reasoning and verbal reasoning um, because it takes a long time 
Yes, yes. Okay. So that segues neatly into the whole topic of EDI. So lots of recruitment business owners that I know are trying to educate their clients about um, EDI. How does a product like this fit into that? Well, I think it's very difficult as a hiring manager to to have a discussion with somebody um, and hire somebody with uh, sort of social agenda of ED and I. I mean, there's not many tools out there to support them. Um, there's not many frameworks out there to help them broach difficult conversations. So for me, as a psychologist, this all fits under the banner of difference and how do we understand difference? And probably 20, 30 years ago, assessment was um, very suited to certain groups over others. And now when you think about a, a hiring manager trying to recruit, um, you want some sense of the people coming in will be still there in six, 12, 18 months time. So that sort of sense of belonging is what typically drives that along with performance. But also you can't have a position which is, um, well, you don't want to aim for a position where there, there is no diversity of thought and approach and there's no difference in opinion because that's um, very myopic and it stops it stops performance in the long run. So I think where we fit in is we provide a framework through the um, cultural values and, and through the measurement of values, which is very equal because values are about what's important to us rather than where we come from or the color of our skin or our gender that's almost irrelevant when it comes to the values that we're talking about here. This is about what's important to us. Mm. Uh, and that's what my people seeks to do, to provide a framework for hiring managers where they can ask questions around the things that are important to the person coming in and see how that's going to impact their team. Yeah, yeah. So it is the structure that focuses on, yeah, on fit, I can see, would be much more helpful than, say, looking at someone who just looked different from the rest of your team, for example, and thinking, oh, I'm not sure. Um, and um, I do, unfortunately, see a lot of employers, um, without realising it, engaging in positive discrimination, which is we know is unlawful. Um, but the, their intentions are no doubt very good, but um, they get into a mess <laughs> with ED and I quite often. Very, Thinking of which, actually, I think it's worth just quickly touching on diversity in the recruitment industry itself, because. Um, my observation is that it is notably ageist and also that the gender distribution in the recruitment industry is very clearly along the lines of what sector the recruiter recruits for. So, you know, engineering recruiters, almost entirely male, um, HR and um, uh, caring, very much more female, so forth. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh God, um, not probably within the recruitment industry. What what I would say as a very very general point is that there tends to be this bias um, between being interested in people versus being interested in things that sometimes has a gender influence. Where it's um, I'm now talking a macro level that um, females tend to be more interested in people than things. Not always, but in the main and men tend to be more interested in things than people not always because that's definitely not me um so I don't know whether that has a play in here when you're talking about sort of engineering roles and versus caring roles and I, I I definitely think there are differences but I wouldn't be qualified to be able to say you know how that works out in practice okay I'm sorry I was trying to inveigle you there to saying something really <laughs> controversial okay 
So Christian, thank you very much for that demonstration. I can see lots of application for this that could really improve the services that we're giving clients and also making our services more sticky. Um, if we hold the, the keys to the cultural, um, the, you know, the, the culture of a client's department or whole business, then going forward, that would help us to recruit better than other other recruiters. Even. So how do interested listeners contact you and my people? What should they do? A uh, range of options. If you go to our website, which is mypeoplegroup.com, uh, you'll be able to book a demo through there. Um, you can contact us. Our phone numbers are up there. Uh, you can contact me direct, which is c.hughes at mypeoplegroup.com. And if you quote uh, RECL10, you will be have some access to discounts um, for use of the product. Okay, thank you very much. So just to give that to you again, do quote the reference for listeners to this podcast, which is R-E-C-L number 10. Um, and Christian, it's been delightful to be joined by you. I am sure that our paths are going to cross a lot in the future. And thank you very much for taking part. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.